when I was a very uh, much a young man, a young lawyer starting out, and I moved to Houston in 1984, uh, I was a little bit different than I am now. I had my hair was a little longer. I was a little younger. And uh, I taught class, uh, 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 Sunday school class at the Bering Drive Church of Christ. And when I taught there, I was teaching a series that I was really liking. And I thought, you know, I'm going to write this up. Either going to write it up and do like handouts like we do in here. Or I'm going to write it up and publish it as a book. And I was talking to our preacher there, Bill Love, about it. And uh, uh, he, he had some counsel for me in that regard. I tried to get on the internet to Google to find a picture of me when I was younger with longer hair um, because I, my, my photos didn't go back that far on here. So I was hoping I could find one on the internet that I could plug into this St. Augustine lesson. And I came fairly close. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm not positive it's me. It's very possible it's not. But in my mind, I'm pretty sure that was. Understand I try not to look in mirrors. So that, that could be nothing at all. But anyway, so I told Bill, I said, uh, I said, yeah, I'm thinking about writing this stuff out. I think about publishing it. I'm thinking about this, that, and the other. His comment to me was, uh, I'd wait a few years before you do that. And I said, what do you mean? He said, look, you're 23, 24, 25, whatever I was at the time. He says, your views are going to change a whole lot as you continue to age and mature. And this is the kind of thing that if you published it today, 10 years from now, you might be kind of embarrassed when you read it. And I thought, how dare him? He was so right. <laughs> He was all right. In fact, all this stuff I've been doing with you, all these handouts, I looked at some that I did about 15 years ago in here. I'm thinking, I'd like to change that, but it's out in the internet world and I can't change it at all now. But I've, I've grown. God has been at work in me. Uh, I've read more. I've thought about things more. I've interacted with people more. I didn't know Dale Hearn then. I mean, I've, there's lots of you I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't, you know, and, and there's a lot of give and take and there's a lot of things you learn in life. And so a lot of things haven't changed for me. I still know Jesus. I still know his word. And there are lots of things that, that are just bedrock solid that I haven't changed on at all. But there are some things I've changed on. Um, when I was growing up, I did not believe predestination as a concept. And then I went through a phase where I decided predestination was just it. And then I went through another phase where I decided, eh, no, it's not. And then I went through another phase when I decided, yes, it is. And then I went through another phase where I am today where it's kind of like, well, yes, but no. <laughs> and so if you were to go back and to read some of my writings early on, you might find things where I've changed in my opinions on some things. My understanding has changed and I've grown. That's to be expected. And we want to be that way. So um, um, with that, 
let's go back to Augustine. Because Augustine changed a lot of what he viewed. You can read Augustine. We got a bunch of Augustine. You can read Augustine and find all sorts of things. Sometimes he dances on different sides of different issues depending upon when he wrote it. And that's not surprising. But it means you always have to be careful about just quoting this phrase from Augustine or that phrase from Augustine. Because you can find almost anything you want in there on some issues, like predestination. So with that, let's put him into historical context for a moment. He had a better excuse for changing his views than I do on some things. Consider this. This is the map I put up last week. The orange in this map is the Roman Empire. At the time Augustine is, is uh, uh, born and, and thriving, in this is the Roman Empire in the 300s, the mid to late 300s. Now, the dark blue above, that's where the Visigoths were. And not just Visigoths, but other Germanic tribes. You had your Vandals. Uh, that was a tribe, by the way. Um, you had a number of different Germanic tribes. And then there are more Slavic-type tribes that are include the Ostrogoths that go up into the bluish-whitish area of the map. Beyond them were the Huns. Now, the Huns started encroaching on the Ostrogoths. The Ostrogoths started encroaching on the Visigoths. And the Visigoths crossed the Danube River, which was the uh, border, and started invading the Roman Empire. And not just the Visigoths, but also the Vandals. The Vandals were actually in the southern part, but they went around to the north of modern France, came down through France and Spain. They crossed over into Gibraltar, and they made their way over to Carthage. The Vandals also were responsible. They were part of the Goth army that sacked Rome in 410. And they did all sorts of bad things. They committed acts of vandalism. That's where we get the word from. That whole word, bunch of vandals, comes from the vandals. They've affected you more than you know. Not only acts of vandalism, but when all these Germanic tribes started invading, they changed culture dramatically. If you're a man and you're wearing pants, raise your hand. You've been affected. They wore pants. The Romans wore togas. The demise of the toga as the clothing of choice for men came about because of this invasion of the Germanic tribes into the Roman Empire. Otherwise, we'd all be wearing those uh, toga dress man things. Instead of Trousers. So, with all of this going on, and understanding that, that Augustine dies with basically his town and area under siege from the Vandals. He lived in, he saw the Roman Empire, which had been around 
for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years dissolve. The calendar that they kept, it's not our calendar. We say Rome was sacked in 410 A.D. They didn't use A.D. Their Roman calendar was dated from the beginning of Rome. Which I don't remember, but it's like 750 B.C. or something like that. I mean, everything was based on the fact Rome had been around for a thousand years. And yet in a lifetime it crumbles. And so Augustine had good reason to change some of this. And we looked at that last week. So here we are. Let's plug into Augustine's life. And I want to tell you, he was born November 13th of 354. He is born again in Easter of 387. He dies August 28th, 430. 75 years old or whatever the math works out to be. It's pretty close. And so uh, 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 that's his life. That's the span that we're looking at. And he really did, obviously, his Christian writing between 387 when he became a Christian and 430. So over that period of 50, uh, what is that, 43 years, he does his writing as the world is radically changing. Now, the writings of Augustine, more than anyone we've looked at, except the Apostle Paul, other than a New Testament writer, the writings of Augustine have had a ripple effect in the world. If you figure that Augustine dies in 430 A.D. and we're at 2015 A.D., I dare say the ripple effects, and he's he's living his life out in this small town in what's now Algiers, Africa. A town called Thagast. And, And I dare say, if you consider that a small little stone that was thrown into the water, Not a fella born into a family of notoriety. Not a fella born into great riches or royalty. Not a fella with a great... He's just a fella from a small town in North Africa who God gifted with such gifts and he took those gifts and put them to use for the Lord. And he didn't do it immediately. Even though his mama was a Christian praying for him and crying for him, he went and gallivanted and chased this gal and and just made a wreck of his life that later he was so sorrowful over. And he just weeps over the pain he caused his mama. But in the process of this, this one little guy created ripples that just have, in the time period since, gone out throughout the entire world. There's not one of us in the church today that has not been affected by the thoughts and the writings of Augustine. And so what I've done is I've pulled out three areas where Augustine has had an especially profound influence. And I want to talk about those three with you today. First is Augustine's thinking about good and evil. 
We'll talk about that first. And then we're going to talk about Augustine on the church and sacraments. The sacraments are those holy moments where God meets people. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, Communion. Those are two of the sacraments that Protestants readily embrace. So we'll talk about that. And then the third area is in the area of grace and free will. So let's talk about those three areas together. We'll start with good and evil. Now, there was a lot of philosophical thought about good and evil. And it had been a problem bantered around in writing and Greek thought for almost a thousand years by the time Augustine enters into this picture. Let's talk about it and do it with some questions. First, we start with a pretty easy question. Who made good? Yeah, that's, that's, that's like an, that's called a no-brainer. Okay? Christians generally get that one right. God made all things that are good. He's the giver of all good gifts, James says in our New Testament. He is the source and creator of all good things. But here's the stickling question. Who made evil? Who made sin? Who made sinners? Now, this is the big question. Do we want to say that God is the creator of evil? Do we want to say that God is the creator of sin? Can we claim that a good God made evil? That a good God made sin? Well, this is a perplexing problem. Now, there is a group out at the time of Augustine. In fact, Augustine had been a follower of this group before he became a believer. Also left the group before he became a believer. A group called the Manichaeans. And Manichaeism... Oh, there we go. Manichaeism taught that there was a God who made good, but there was another God who made evil. So it was a kind of like, um, there's a, this idea that there's this cosmic chess game going on. And in the cosmic chess game, you have a good God who made the good things, and you have an evil God who made the evil things. And they're battling it out. Now, Augustine took issue with that. And he argued against it not on a scriptural basis, but on a logical basis. Because he argued against it before he became a Christian. Once he became a Christian, he used scripture as well. But he said, this doesn't make sense logically. Why would a good God even engage an evil God in a chess game? 
and he worked through the logic, and uh, uh, I've got it in the paper if you want to read it, but I don't have time for it. So let me tell you what, what he said in answer to the question. Instead of Manichaeism, Augustine said the following. He said, evil was not made. Nobody made evil. Evil is simply a corruption of good. Now, let me give you an example. This is not Augustine's example. This is Mark's example of what Augustine is saying. Um, food is good. It is good for us to eat calories. If you don't have calories within your body, you will die. Your body will lose energy source once it depletes those sources it can internally. And don't get me wrong, I can go for a while. But it's just a matter of time until the body starts taking the energy from cells that are in my heart and other muscles. And the body will cannibalize itself for food. You got to have calories. So eating is a good thing. But gluttony is sin. Now, nobody made gluttony. God made food to be consumed in appropriate measure. But if you take what is good and you misuse it, then you have what we call evil. But it's not that we made evil, it's that we abused good. You can take almost any sin and understand it in this way. So, for example, intimate sexual relations are made to be a good thing between a husband and a wife. But those things that can be good between a husband and wife and a right and appropriate and a blessed gift can be taken and abused and used and turned into sin. You can take it with uh, uh, um, your voice. You can use your voice for good things. You can build people up. You can praise the Lord. You can speak truth. You can show compassion. But you can take the same voice and the same vocabulary and speak falsehoods. So bitterness, hatred, and discord and cause all sorts of problems and bring dishonor to God and even blaspheme Him. But it's taking a good gift and it's abusing it. It's corrupting it. So then the question becomes, who made what I'm calling corruptible good? Who made this good that could be corrupted? Do we attribute God for making good that could ultimately be corrupted? 
Well, in a sense, maybe. Here's what Augustine says. He says, only God is perfect. Man's good, not perfect. God didn't make man and say, ah, he is perfect. He said, this is good. Creation is good. And anytime you've got something that's good and not perfect, good might be able to change on its own. Because ultimately, God made humanity with free will. And we can choose to corrupt good if we want to. God did not make us where our mouths automatically shut, clamped, closed, as soon as we've consumed exactly the amount of calories we need. Now, you can blame Him for it. You can say, why did God create gluttony? Well, He didn't. He made food. And if any of you took the box of donuts to your seat, instead of simply a couple of donuts, don't blame the Lord for that. One of uh, one young man I know um, did something recently that was really wrong, and when confronted about it, his reply was, "It was not my fault. I was drunk when I did it." Now, admittedly, I'm a lawyer, and so I come at these things from a legal perspective. And from a legal perspective, if you're driving down the road and you accidentally kill someone, that's a bad thing, and you can get sued for it. But if you're driving down the road and you're drunk and you kill someone, Judge John, that's a criminal problem. You go to jail for that. You can't say, well, it's not my fault I killed him. I was drunk. No. That's even worse. So for this young man to say, hey, it wasn't my fault, I was drunk. Unless someone force-fed him the alcohol, that's not an excuse. So we can say, who made that evil thing that he did? And Augustine would say, he, he did it. And don't blame God for not clamping his mouth shut when he drank to excess. You know, man has this ability to choose. Think of it this way. This, Augustine didn't use this either, but this is a, a good illustration. We have light in this room. God is light, Right? God is light. If you take the light away, what do you have? Darkness. Well, who made the darkness? Nobody made it. It's simply an absence of light. Evil is an absence of good. It's not something that's made. It's what is left if you take away the good. Or if you corrupt the good. 
He says there are three options on where this came from. It either came from man, or it came from someone else, or something else, or it came from nothing. It doesn't have an origination. He says it's nothing. Evil as a concept is simply the absence or the corruption of good. And man has the ability to do that. Man knows good and evil. So, his thinking on that, and I'm not saying he's got all the answers, and I'm not saying that case is closed after Augustine, but I'm saying that his thinking has helped permeate our understanding for well over 1,500 years since. And still makes great sense in forms of fundamental understanding for many today. Now, the church and the sacraments. we got to talk about this a little quicker. i got to move faster. To understand his position here, uh, the, the, the two things that he did that were really profound, that really affected the church. We've got to go back, and if you look again at him, born November 13th, becomes a Christian, 387, dies 430. we got to wedge something in there between 387 and 430. After Augustine becomes a Christian, he becomes an ascetic. He shuns riches. He shuns things of value. He shuns the comforts of the world and basically tries to live in very humble means. In the process of that, he's getting ready to come back from Rome to Africa. He's got his mom in tow. He's moving back home. And in the process, uh, or during that time, his mom dies. And it sends him for a little bit of a loop. Your mom dies, shakes you up. And so for a year... Augustine stays in Rome and he tours some monasteries. Basically goes around and and uh, just tries to figure out what's going on. Finally returns to Africa. And when he returns to Africa, he confronts an issue that we call donatism. Now, that's not an overindulgence of donuts. And it's not an aversion to donating things. Though the name Donatism comes from a fella whose name was Donatus, which is the Latin for giving. So, he confronts Donatism, he becomes a priest, and ultimately becomes a bishop. I want to spend, yeah, if we've got the time, let's spend a few minutes on Donatism for a moment. Donatism was a mess. Brent, can I borrow you? Can you come on up here? Now, Brent is on staff at Champion Forest Baptist Church. He's one of our pastors here. He is an ordained minister, and it's a marvelous thing. And the congregation voted to ordain you, or were you ordained before you got here? Here, you were ordained here, and it's a marvelous thing. Now, there were ordained bishops and priests and ministers of the church when the Roman emperor before Constantine 
declared Christianity illegal. And in different edicts, he ordered the Bibles to be burned. He ordered the churches to be grabbed up and confiscated. And ultimately put to death, ordered to death, those people who would confess to being Christians. Now, there were a lot of ordained preachers that had Bibles. Some of the ordained preachers with Bibles took them from the shelves of the church, from the shelves of their house, and hid them. And in place, put cookbooks or some other book. And said, here, you can have our holy scriptures. And gave away the cookbooks or the other books. Some said, wait a minute, I'm going to be put to death unless I give you these. You can have them. And they gave away the holy word of God to be burned. Some went even further. Some said, I will, I will, um, I'm, I'm willing to not only give those up to be burned, I'll even sacrifice to the idols. Just don't kill me. Now along comes Constantine. And Constantine says, Christianity's okay. You can have your Bibles back. In fact, Constantine orders, not yet for you, Constantine orders 50 of them. The church buildings go back. All is free and open and easy. And then the church is sitting there saying, what are we going to do with Brent Johnson? Because Brent says, Okay, well, maybe I gave up my Bible. Brent says, maybe I did a pinch of incense to the idols. But I really do love the Lord. I was just weak. It was a weak moment. And I'd like like my job back, please. My position. So there is a group in North Africa that says, um, we're not too fond of these guys. They are, if you, by the way, if you gave up your Bible, you were called a trotor, like a traitor. Um, you're a traitor. And so you can't, you can't have your position back. Now the church needs a new bishop. They appoint back one of the traitors as a bishop. And he's properly appointed by the church. He gets his Bible. He's the guy. But those followers of Donatus, who looked with scorn on the traitors, said, we don't care if the church has appointed you back to your position. We're going to appoint our own against you. Come here, Richard. This is the real bishop. He's a traitor. 
So, you guys should be following us. Don't follow the traitor, even though he's appointed by the church properly and has confessed. And by the way, these guys were doing a bit of a loopy thing anyway. Nothing personal, Richard. But they were doing some loopy stuff for attention. They were getting voluntarily putting themselves in prison. Many of them because they didn't have a job. And if they voluntarily put themselves in prison as believers, the church felt real bad and would bring them food and stuff. Okay, So, into this world, I mean, they bring in the Roman emperor. They have all these fights. Who's in charge of the church? And the Donatist says, when Sandy Shiver comes to Brent and takes communion, or when he baptizes Luce's baby, it's invalid because he's a traitor. And his, his he doesn't belong in the ministry anymore. It needs to be this guy. So you got to rebaptize your kid with him or one of his priests, or you need to come take communion from him. Okay, guys, go sit down. Thank you. Can I have my Bible back? So this is the fight that's going on. Into this comes Augustine. And Augustine says a couple of things. Here are the keys to Augustine with this issue. Number one, church structure is linked to apostolic succession. The apostles appointed the second generation who appointed the next generation, who appointed the next generation. And within the church structure, you've got apostolic structure. And the Donatists may not be happy with the fact that the men of God were traitors. But if those men of God have been reappointed properly within the church, then they should be followed, even if they're not perfect. And you can't divide the church over it and just decide pell-mell you want to start your own. Needless to say, Augustine was not a favorite on this point with Martin Luther and the whole Reformation deal. I'm not saying he's right. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm saying he's had an influence on the church because that's a huge issue. Now, And by the way, the reason I'm not saying right or wrong on that is an argument can be made, and I think quite well. So if you want to know my position on it, I might as well throw it out there. I mean, you came to class. Are you a Catholic, Mark? I'm a little C Catholic in the sense of united church. There's one body of Christ. But I'll be quick to say that Martin Luther was a properly appointed priest. And Martin Luther... And, and the church structure that flows out from him was always properly in the apostolic line of succession. They just didn't honor the Pope and they didn't honor the Catholic system that was the Roman Catholic system. And so, I, I mean, we don't, we don't go out. I mean, Brent's been ordained by this church. It wasn't just one day Brent decided he'd be an ordained minister. You know, and he didn't get some goofy mail order degree. It's, 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 it still links all the way back, and we stand in apostolic chain of command with the Scriptures. All right, next thing. Luther said, uh, Luther, <laughs> Augustine said, although Luther also did say this, 
the sacraments, communion, baptism, they derive their power from the fact that God's there, not from the purity of the priest that's given it. So it doesn't matter about, we don't even need to debate, is, is the, the bishop a, 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 a sinful or sinless or a traitor or all the rest of that stuff. It doesn't invalidate the communion. It doesn't invalidate the baptism because that was God meeting people there. And God's the one who made that a sacrament, not the priest. Okay. Last thing, I'll spend a couple of minutes, and we just need to spend a couple of minutes on grace and free will. Grace and free will. Now, there was a monk from England. His name was Pelagius. Pelagius left England around 405 AD and came over to Rome. And when he saw the decadence in Rome, he was appalled. And he tried to figure out, why are these Roman Christians so decadent and sinful? And he decided it was because of the teachings of Augustine. So he took issue with Augustine. And there was a real big divide. They butted on this. And Pelagius was ultimately deemed a heretic for what he had to say. Here's what Pelagius argued. Pelagius argued that there was no such thing as original sin. That when we are born, we are born morally pure. And if someone chooses not to sin in their life, they can live morally pure. That it's really just a matter of choice. Augustine said, no, 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 no. You have a fallen nature. Everybody who's born of the lineage of Adam is born with a fallen nature. Born sinful. And you do not escape that fallen nature until you're dead. Don't get me wrong. There is a, a new life and you're born again and you, you have all of that. And, and, and that is the old man. The fallen nature. But all of us still battle the old man. I have yet to meet someone who's not sinning. And so, Augustine says, we have a fallen nature. Now, he still says, we've got the rights to choose. But when we're making choices, we're making choices from a fallen nature. So we're never going to be pure. On our own volition. We, no man can ever be sinless. And this was a, a, a huge fight that Augustine, in essence, put to rest through the way he did it. Now, in all of these writings and more, you'll find ways where Augustine speaks. And Greg, you emailed me some of these. Greg always sits over here somewhere. Of course, there you are, Greg. Um, you'll find uh, places. R.C. Spruill is big on pulling out some good quotes from Augustine where he speaks powerfully of predestination. But you'll also find people who are anti-predestination who pull out quotes from Augustine where he doesn't. 
And everybody fights about did Augustine or didn't Augustine and da 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 da. And I got books of Augustine, and you can look at this book of Augustine where he you ask these he these are his questions. You know, here's a question on free choice. And these are truly eighty three questions he just answered. What's the cause of human perversity? Can an animal without reason be happy? Can truth be sensed by the bodily sense or perceived by the bodily senses? What proof is there that men are superior to animals? Why was Christ born of a woman? Does body come from God? These are just much questions he got asked. You can read those questions and they'll say, man has free will, fallen nature, everything I've said here. Then some people say, yeah, but he answered those questions 20 years before he died. Yes, the other camp will say, but he proofread them right before he died and said, yes, I still like them. So you get answers all over the map, which brings me back to where I started this thing. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you Augustine is the definitive answer on predestination. But I am going to tell you he's the definitive answer on Pelagianism from the perspective of nobody is born sinless in the sense of being able to choose a life without sin. We're all born in the sinful human condition. Here's our fruit for home. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Now, some of you are memorizing 1 John. That's in there. Some of you started memorizing 1 John and quit. Some of you never started at all. Today is June the 1st. You can start all over. You just got to do about four verses a week instead of two. That's still less than a verse a day. Just my encouragement. There were some women over at the house last night who were laughing because they're memorizing it together. And they wanted me to call them up on stage this morning to quote it in front of you. But I don't have time. I will tell you this, they didn't really want me to. In fact, they swore that if I did, they would never come back to class. So that was for their benefit. God is light. In him is no darkness. Did God create darkness? No. God is light. Darkness is what God is not. God is not everything. God is light. God is good. God is not evil. Evil's by definition, evil is what God is not. You take God away or you distort God or you disturb his goodness. That is what we call evil. That's why it dwells up inside us and we think we don't like this. Because God made us in his image. We respect and appreciate that which is godly, good. We look with disgust on that which is evil and even wonder, how can a good God let that happen? Because we're hardwired for God. I'm going to follow God in the light. Fruit for home too. You are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his light. See, we're born... In that sinful condition of evil. But the image is God's calling us back into light. 
and his goodness as a nation. There's an old Greek saying, ace on air, hodes on air. One man is no man because we're not meant to be alone. And God didn't call us. He's called us individually, but he's called us as a family. We'll get into that when we talk about Greek in the fall. I will fellowship with the saints is the point. Fruit for home last. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. I love this passage. This We all need to know this lesson. Paul does not say, you were really sick with sin. He doesn't say, sin was a rash. You were breaking out. He doesn't say, sin caused you quite a dose of indigestion. He doesn't even say sin was a cancer eating away at you. He says, you were dead in your sins. There's a difference between dead and almost dead. There's a difference between dead and really sick. You were dead. God is life. If you take away God and life, what do you have left? Dead. You were dead in your sins. Praise God, I've been born again. Because you need that if you're dead in your sins. Can I pray over you? Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for my friends and family. Thank you so much for everyone who's taken time to hear this message. Lord, would your spirit work through what we're about to change who we are, to grow in our understanding of you, our respect, honor, appreciation, and worship of you, and to seek to follow you more and be a purer light on that hill, showing your light into the dark world. Through Jesus our Lord, amen. Amen.